Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry. So how powerful is the Word of God? And of course, we all know the answer to bringing the dead back to life. And so to today's podcast. And so to then, what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry? But the administration of the Word of God and therein the power, it goes along with it, to change, transform, transfigure, resurrect, redeem, restore the dead back to life. And would that not be not only a noble aspiration, a noble cause and a purpose, but if it works... Isn't that what it's all about? If it works, poof, as they say, is in the pudding. If it works, Acts chapter, and does it work? That may be a rhetorical question, but most likely isn't. Although I am fond of rhetorical questions. Yes, of course it works. Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 6. And... We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. Uh, (laughs) Sort of like that movie that goes from black and white to color. Up to this point in the book of Acts, most of it has been as with historical reference, and though there may have been a we, I'm not entirely sure there has it, heretofore, this we, though, is making then the testimony or results in making then the testimony a much more personal one. And believing that Luke penned the book of Acts, then it is his personal testimony as with fact as with evidence, as with witness. And why is that important? (laughs) Because we're going to see how powerful the Word of God is, even to the resurrecting of the dead. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day... Of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the next day, and continued his speech until midnight. The first day of the week, which my inclination would be to believe as much anything it is then as it is today, the Sabbath day. It would be the equivalent of our Sunday. It's possible that it was a Saturday for them. But it is the beginning of all to break bread. And what is it to break bread on the Sabbath? (laughs) Uh, Besides the fact that you're not to necessarily make it. It's to give thanks to God, unto God, and with that not only thanks, but in a more traditional sort of contemporary present day context, when we go to church, synagogue of our choice, uh, we break bread 
on Sundays. We hold services on Sundays. We administer, again, how powerful is the Word? The Word of God. And it begins with that administration, and it begins with that then in administration, the source of that power as well as the Word, and you could flip that, the source of the Word as well as the power that so accompanies the Word, the so-called anointing, that it proceeds forth from the very throne of God. It is God who otherwise, through the Holy Spirit, has then inspired the Word, whether we see that Old Testament, more written Word, or New Testament, as with Jesus' living Word. God in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, has revealed Himself unto us. And the power that the Word possesses is in the, as we've been saying on the podcast for the last several podcasts, the full knowing of who God is. The revelation of who God is. The Old Testament speaks to, tells of, certainly does everything in terms of empiricism, the visceral, the bodily, all sensorium to present God. Touch him, taste him, feel him, see him, hear him, incense, smell him. He is legit. The experience is valid. It is reliable. There is no doubt that there is a God. But it isn't until the New Testament that we see the manifestation in such then the same empirical or visceral, same anointed dimension or way as was with the Old Testament except much, much more consolidated. I like the word pithy. (laughs) Much more to the point. Much more simple. Because we see Jesus. Jesus is the full revelation of God unto man, humankind. And it is all of, in prophetic terms, prophecy, a foretelling. But the foretelling really is more about breaking through the veil, the veil being rent, that we then might actually open ourselves to receive receipt of that knowledge, certainly first. And so, more even the revelation of God in spirit, because God is a spirit, and they that worship him, worship him truly in spirit and truly in truth. And the truth is that God is with us all along. The devil has only gotten his traction or way through deception, trickery. He is the seducer. He takes advantages of the human inclination of denial, psychologically speaking. Of course, we have to throw in a little salt the program a bit with little portions of psychology or it would lose its legitimacy and connection to really what is covenant? Specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry. There's some aspect of psychology, at least psychological operations that the counseling portion of that appeals to. But 
through denial, through deception, through fear, through fight or flight, running away, not wanting to admit, not wanting to embrace the truth, for fear that it would indeed, as it will, kill the human (laughs) apparatus or identity in this sense. Either you voluntarily acknowledge it's not all about you, that there is then a higher power, but more than just generically a higher power or principle of power. The higher principle of power is called God, and God had a son, his name Jesus the Christ. And with that then, as we've been mentioning already heretofore, again, heretofore on the program, podcast, the Holy Spirit But you break bread, and the bread stirs up the gift by disclosure. (laughs) By not only knowledge of who God is, of what God is, as within Old Testament context, higher power, God has an entity, an identity. He is part of, (laughs) in that Godhead sort of way, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God And with that, then God has never forsaken us nor abandoned us ever. The devil putting up through our denial, our fear of dying, death. But more specifically, I think, than even the physical aspects of death, it is the psychological now, the denial, the unwillingness, The resistance to admitting this truth that we are not in control of any of it except ourselves. And then only to the end of destruction, if only because we choose not to participate and therein share in the glory that God is, that love is, that perfect love is, the abundant life that it brings forth and that it produces. And all of that... It's what the Bible is about. And Jesus being the manifestation of, again, the full revelation of God with full Holy Spirit operations. The Holy Spirit has then been given full permission by acceptance of Jesus as the Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ as the truth, the way, the truth to life. No man, no woman, no person should come unto the Father, shall come unto the Father, should come unto the Father, except by Jesus and that particular method, manner, way, passage. And that is where this passage of Scripture today begins. When the disciples, the first day of the week, came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. What did he preach? Uh, Possibly, probably, possibly so much more than what I could ever preach that you might ever preach that either of us, you, me, whoever else might be listening in to this conversation, could fully comprehend and understand. Paul preached and preached And it was all anointed. And he had the best of both worlds. He was a Pharisee among the Pharisees, so he knew of the Old Testament quite well. But he also had had the Jesus encounter 
on the road to Damascus. And with that, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And with that, then the Holy Spirit operations. And with that, then as evidenced by the speaking in tongues. And with that, then not only various languages, not only his particular love language, but in generic, more general, not to lessen, but to increase the effect He spoke the language of love. God loves the world, loved the world, present tense, loves the world so much that he gave and continues to give his only begotten son that whomsoever shall believe in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. John 3.16 that is, I've always been told, the gospel of all. You can put all the Bible into that one verse and fulfill the intentions of the entirety of it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the Bible. The truth of the Bible. As God's word unto us, as was anointed, as with the Holy Spirit, who is, again, love God is love. The love language of God is not necessarily just the scripture, though the scripture stirs up the gift of love. The gift of love has been there all along. We rejected him when the devil in our fight or flight mode, our fear, our not wanting to give up, the identity ourselves, rightly so, to Jesus, to God, we resist and end up finding ourselves perishing. And not only perishing, but eventually, when the body ceases to exist, so does the human soul. And that really is what salvation is all about, saving the soul. So when the Apostle Paul was ministering the word, preaching, I'm sure that it included, at base, this. Just what we just got through covering. And then maybe some embellishments, culturally so, speaking to the audience, particular audience he was speaking to, he would add dimensions to it so that it would be genuinely so, as relatable as humanly possible. But here he was speaking to the Jews. So as much again... There were, there were those that were Gentiles. He was also speaking to the Jewish people. And as then there'd be evidences of success or failure when it comes to who was listening or open to listening or receipt, it came to the Gentiles who were more ready to receive the word, the anointed word, the words of life than it even was the Hebrew people. And maybe, again, as we're going through the book of Acts, it seems, we may touch upon that in future podcasts or podcasts. But for today, it's sufficient to say that Paul was preaching good word. And not only did he preach it on the first day of the week, the Sabbath, and not only did he minister the bread, the bread of life, again, words of life, It was all about Jesus. It was all about salvation. It was all about living the Christian life. It was all about evangelism to those who did not know. 
And even so to those that did or had received Christ, no doubt, it was the edification, the building up of the body for the purposes of the body of Christ and not only administering the word, but what does the word again bring us back to? Love. The power that we have in us is the power to love. And the devil tries to steal that by harming, hurting, harming, and hurting us. Harm and hurt that he brings unto us. Loss. Things that hurt us are things that pain us, are things that cause us distress, are things that we have lost. And a loss is grievous if it means much to you. The significance of it is worthy enough, passes muster, meets the basic bottom line of that threshold. But loss accumulated not only results in bitterness, but you become then lost in your loss. Because you have no reconciliation, you have no way out. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit leads, guides, and directs us into all knowledge, knowing, and understanding. But if you don't somewhere along the way believe, then a bunch of knowing is not going to save you. Now, you could argue, and I would agree, that a bunch of emotions not mixed with knowledge of who God is and the rightful application of the word is equally destructive and damning. It's not going to save you. But when you put the two together, as does the Holy Spirit, as he would then in some emotional dimension, as with comforter, console, address the emotions, the power is in the emotions. It isn't that emotions, again, are sufficient But emotions must be rightly, talking about sprinkling again, must rightly be sprinkled with the word as with then knowledge and understanding. But knowledge and understanding without emotions, without being sprinkled, rightly so, with emotions will not save you either. The sprinkling of blood... Jesus Christ's blood is the only way for the righteous sacrifice to render then the salvation that is promised, the redemption. But once that happens, then you're a changed person. Because certainly in the passion that is the Christ and all that we know of that it resulted, that it took for it to result in the salvation experience. All simply that Jesus had to endure and go through emotionally, physically, in terms of pain, in terms of sacrificing not only his body, but his identity as with ego. So that he might not only be Jesus, but be Jesus the Christ. So that he might show us the way from the human identity to that of the divine. It has to be anointed. 
it has to be sprinkled with this blood of sacrifice. It has to. You must lose. (laughs) You don't pass on. If you don't give up your body, there's no way to get to heaven. You just live in the misery of the physical dimensions. And that sort of never would happen because nothing materially endures in any sort of constant state of being, existence, forever. Abundant life in material terms would be nothing greater than reincarnation. But I don't believe in reincarnation because reincarnation, though it may capture a bit of what happens, it's not the fullness thereof of not only the Old Testament word, But what Jesus came to show us that it is not you coming back or someone coming back in simply coming back in another form. Although, who knows what the new body, being a new creature in Christ, really will be about. But what we do know is reincarnation lacks then the intent of what to do with the human soul. Because the human soul must have a rightful place of habitation. And with that, I don't know, since I don't believe in reincarnation per se, that it is a half-cooked idea, not a full one, that I'm going to remember much about me if I come back as a fish, or if I come back as a dog, or if I come back as a tree. Uh, I am not going to have that awareness. But that awareness really is virtue and character because it's the same thing. It needed to be preserved so that all humanity could not only be Jesus, we all will be Jesus, But all of us could be then Jesus, the Christ, with the Christ resurrection. So that as we then would give ourselves, rightly so, die to self, rightly so, give up our identity, rightly so, to Jesus in the right manner and method and measure through, again, the anointing of not only word instruction, but Holy Spirit, who not only comforts, but leads and guides us not only through the losses in general, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted your salt and light as well. And what is any of that worth if it doesn't have flavor or if it's hidden under a bushel basket? You are ministers of reconciliation, but you can't do that except that there would be passage again for you. Your human soul, but the only passageway for the human soul to be hidden in the cleft of the rock, to be hidden in the highest, the sacred place of the most high, to allow the glory of the Lord to really pass by, to have the hedge of protection surrounding you so that you might endure all of the loss, including the loss of you, you have to be established in him. Him, Jesus, the Christ. But all that Jesus went through is not only emotion so that we might know that he is not without being touched with the feelings of infirmity, what we go through, but it is also then with knowledge. But the only way that knowledge and understanding 
as then would be word given, would become then anointed in such the way not only to stir up the gift of love, the love language, to communicate, to preach, but to do so in such a manner as to share that love, not out of intellect alone, not out of emotion alone, but those two operational systems, when they're put together and anointed, the vessel then as with human soul, and that really is what the human soul is psychologically. We have emotional operations, we call them sympathetic nervous system operations, and we have parasympathetic nervous system operations, That seems, that is, artificially so, a bit absolute. There's a lot of overlap between the two systems. But if you take them to, in conceptual sort of regard or dimension, to their extremes, you have emotional operations and cognitive operations. Both of those have to be fully developed so that you then might then become, in identity sort of terms, fully functional person. Your human virtue and character is constructed of your empirical experiences as registered through sensation, feelings, including loss, and your best understanding, as well as your best narrative. So why all of this happened to me? And it's okay that we rely upon narrative. That's why God gave his word, so we would understand the proper story to align with. You could come up with some, as they used to call it, cockamamie sort of truths about life, and such as reincarnation, <laughs> and all of the karma dimensions. And those are all some approximations to who God is, but they're all misunderstandings. And in that misapproximations, and only Jesus and the Hebrew people who otherwise, with conscious awareness, with narrative intact, could then share, not only in spiritual regard, this love language, but God gave them language... But he had to unify that first from the Holy Spirit as with then second, the writing of the Old and New Testament, the penning of the Old and New Testament as would then be spiritually anointed so that we could go through all of the loss from the day you're born, you begin to die. The Bible, the King James presents it a little differently when Eve came to that awareness, but it's the same awareness that Eve came to in the Garden of Eden with Adam. It was a little more resistant. But wouldn't that be a man? No, I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to whip this thing. I'm going to still survive. I'm not going to let it. Well, I'm not saying you should roll over and die. There is certainly purpose and meaning in human Ministry and ministration. Charity has a material aspect. We can make the world a better place. But if it's not anointed of the Holy Spirit, even so, none of those things take place. The knowledge won't save you. The emotions alone won't save you. The intellect won't save you. Memorizing scripture won't save you. But when the knowing as with Holy Spirit anointing, and what does he use? (laughs) He uses the emotions. We're baptized in the emotions. The emotions don't save us. The emotions are the baptism by fire. 
it's part of the human experience. Everything, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But God uses that through the word, through the template, through the narrative, the history of the Hebrew people, through his revelation with word, as he spoke to all of those icons that we so admire and look up to. Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Israel. And that's why the story is there. That's why we can then be grafted into that vine. But when it's all said and done, even as much as you break bread in this manner and fashion, and that's all we've done on the podcast today, and probably for the most part every podcast, we just break bread. But I do look at it in different ways, and I ask you to consider it as broadly as possible so that you might get the maximum, not only lump, but the nuance as well of the word. Piercing, dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, the word, the Holy Spirit knows how to get into the small as well as the large aspects of our being and our material life. But we have to allow him to do that. And where again does all that come from? From already within you, you've put the veil up, you've put the wall up, you've rejected Christ, you chose the knowledge of good and evil over <laughs> the the bread of life, the tree of life, Jesus in the garden. But once that starts to come down, once you start to break bread, once you stir up the gift, once you speak the love language of God, love itself, once you begin to communicate that and translate that in manner and means through the writings of the Old and New Testament, How many translations? I am loyal to the King James, but I know the King James wasn't the first. There's many iterations of that. Each of them, again, are somewhat as I said about the Apostle Paul. He was salting the word with the cultural dimensions or aspects, but the word always comes back to Jesus and him, him, he is the Christ. And... How powerful is the word? To overcoming death and, I'm going to add to it now, the grave. So Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the next day, and continued his speech until midnight. It's one of those, uh, we're not getting out by 1230 today, folks. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Which would also seem to suggest to me that not only was was it physical, the light, but the lights. As with the, the word, I am the light that overcomes Jesus would be. The light that overcomes the darkness. He came into this world so that we may not live in darkness. Which is really psychologically, again, denial. Which then again... In that grieving sort of way, you don't get the closure, the stages of grief. They're not 
they are linear. You can stack them now. We believe they're linear when we first came to an awareness of the different stages that they were identified. We weren't really all that preoccupied or maybe weren't even aware enough to think. Did not have enough awareness of what it meant that there might be stackable dimensions. You might be grieving multiple things at any one time and at different stages in your grief. We just don't want to be all about loss and then end up lost. Or be all about fear of loss or with that then and, not only or, but and with that then the ultimate loss, the death of identity and self bodily as well as psychologically, that we just don't want to deal with any of it. We're just in denial. We want to run away from all of that. You have to allow the Holy Spirit, you have to allow him to use the emotions as well as the intellect to make sense of all of it. And to make a way where there appears to be no way. But these lights that the passage in Acts that we're reading from today, Acts chapter 20, verse 8, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. I am inclined to believe it could have all been about physically there being light. I think, though, these are individuals that were saved and sanctified and had already begun to understand the true power, not only in terms of love, as with emotion, but word, as with anointed charity, as with I love you, to I love you and I'm going to do this for you. (laughs) Faith without works is dead. If you don't do it, then you can say you love them, but you really, it's questionable. You're really subject to being questioned whether you do or you don't. No greater love hath any man, as Jesus would put it, than to lay down his life for another. But if it's going to go from knowing to believing and the kind of believing that will then engage actions to put actual motive and emotion and motive and emotion and motive to your words... If they have to be anointed. But when the knowing is anointed, it becomes believing. And I know we say, I believe. And we say that like we almost say, I know. But I think there's a big difference between just knowing and believing. You're not going to lay down your life for another unless you believe there's resurrection power. <laughs> and maybe even before that. That there is a God. And maybe even before that. Not only that there is a God. As long with that. There is a God and he loves so much. And he gave his only begotten son. We love 1 John. Because he first loved us. And only out of that can we love one another. You're not going to lay down your life for the best of reasons and purposes. Without some cockamamie dimension to it. Except you know. But more than knowing, you believe. But the only way you believe is to go through the fire. (laughs) To work through the constant onslaught of loss and loss. From the moment that you are born, you're already dying. 
accept it. It is not evil. It is not terrible. It is not evidence that God doesn't love you. It is not his punishment. It's just the way of the natural world. And he created the natural order as much as he created the supernatural. But he creates the natural out of supernatural dimension. But we start with the supernatural like we started with the first day of the week. But we don't exit the Sabbath. We stay in the Sabbath. And not only for... An hour and a half sermon at another hour if you're going to go to Sunday school. One day a week. We do this as with prayer without ceasing. We do this by walking in the Spirit and with that staying in the Spirit through love of God. Two great commandments. The other is, but one God to love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit and love others as you love yourself. That's how you stay engaged. That's how you stay in a position of engagement with the power that is in you, not only to your bodily life, but to all life. Most importantly, Holy Spirit as into spiritual life, as then it is eternal. God's complete love, not a portion of it, Not a separated or divided part. The great chasm that divides between heaven and hell. No. Perfect love. All human bodily operations, spiritual operations, spiritual operations, and Holy Spirit anointing, Holy Spirit operations. And already you've overcome the dead, the grave, resurrected the dead. You are the example of resurrection power, Lazarus. He has anointed life, given you life, God did, when you were born. You thought the devil could steal it from you. It was a lie. Jesus comes along and reminds you it's all a lie. But if you're going to be one with Jesus the Christ, you have to do more than know that. You have to put your money where your mouth is, your cred on the line. You have to live your life as if it would kill you. But not worry about it. Go out and enjoy your life. Don't hold back. Don't let fight or flight, hypervigilance, emotional reactive thinking, sympathetic nervous system operations predominate. But you're not going to sit there and say, well, I'm you know, just really going to not worry about being killed today or die today. I'm not going to worry about my money necessarily, losing my money, somebody stealing it from me. I'm not going to really worry about my husband taking care of him or my wife taking care of her. I'm not really going to worry about our kids. (laughs) Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. No, we know that that doesn't work. You can try to intellectualize it. You can try to rationalize it. But when it comes, (laughs) you'll have no answer for it or no better answer for it. Unless in the moment, and I do believe in deathbed salvation, experiences. You, all of a sudden, light comes on. Your light comes on in the upper chamber. 
Many lights in the upper chamber. (laughs) Your brain starts to fire up with all of this great stuff. And before you take your last breath, or even as you might be taking your last breath of material life and thanking God for it, you get this moment of seeing your whole life pass before your very eyes. And in that moment, you're sanctified. (laughs) It's that love. Oh, I understand now. I finally see who Jesus, the Christ, is. We call that theophanies when it comes to Paul, Saul on the road to Damascus, encounter with Jesus, Jesus encounter, or epiphanies if you're not necessarily so theologically directed at the moment, (laughs) and more clinical Humanistic sort of terms as an epiphany. (gasps) Uh (gasps) Aha! Pretty dramatic. But I wanted to make sure I captured that well. (gasps) I see. The scales. They've been removed from my eyes. Paul could speak to that. I see. I understand. Don't push against the goats. It's going to happen anyhow. (gasps) I get it now. Don't be afraid to die. (gasps) Give your whole life to Christ. Give your whole life to life. Live your life fully and completely. There's more than enough love to go around. There's nothing that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither death, (laughs) no power, no principality of darkness, which would be the devil and any of those that would follow after him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus the Christ. I'm sure Paul was preaching something like that. And just so that we might then have some tangible proof thereof, of all of this, maybe for those that are still a bit of doubting Thomases, maybe those that would say, oh, yeah, I could pay good money, go to the local theater. (laughs) If I wanted a well-done play, I might go to a bigger city off-Broadway. I might go right to Broadway. I might go to the movie theater and there (laughs) watch it. I guess it's not on reel to reel anymore. Now it's all digital. But they won't even have to change the reels. (laughs) Don't have to worry about the film breaking. I can just watch it all the way through and get immersed in the experience. But when I walk out of there, Maybe it'll hang on for a little while. Maybe I'll experience it. Maybe I'll want to and I'll try to keep it alive. But unless it's an anointed of the Holy Spirit, unless you sell out at this level, knowing and believing are two completely different things. Knowing will not ever allow you to take up your cross and follow after Him. Knowing will not allow you to ever understand what what did happen, what the price that was paid for your salvation by Jesus on the cross was all about. Knowing (laughs) gets you a degree. It doesn't save people. Knowing might establish you as the oracle, but it doesn't save people. What saves people is knowing anointed with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being love, turned to action. 
And the people certainly are going to appreciate the actions. Some will appreciate more than others. I'm starving to death. Can you give me something to eat? And you give them something to eat, they're going to thank you. But even then, for how long? I'm not going to keep owing you for that. Yeah, you saved me all those days, years, months, weeks, whatever, weeks, months, years ago. Let that go, though. That's old news. What have you done for me lately? But when you love somebody, really love somebody, you lay it all on the line. God, you're not his sacrifice. God does not want to see one soul perish. There is a righteous sacrifice that needs to be made. The animals, <laughs> certainly, we killed a boatload of them in the Old Testament, we humans. And I suppose we go around murdering and killing people even to today as somewhat of a sacrificial lamb for the atonement of sin. We might even be a martyr and choose to kill ourselves through either conscious or subconscious or unconscious or unknowing or knowing sort of intentions with plan and purpose or just inadvertently by doing really, really self-destructive, high-risky things. That won't save you. But when you understand that it's in the love of God in Christ Jesus, all born, for at least humans, of the Holy Spirit born into, born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, it all comes back to life, and we come back to life. But it's just not the material life. We're really, if there is any sacrifice being conducted or made, therein is the sacrifice. You're just going to give up your body for a new one. But you can't hold on to the old one because the old one becomes decrepit and it falls apart and it's going to die anyhow. Don't go around killing others and don't kill yourself. But in the end... Establish yourself in the Word and living Word, Jesus the Christ. And again, He'll give you safe passage. He'll make a way when there appears to be no way. And should it be the end of you physically, materially, even so, your identity, you're in Jesus. You can not only take up your cross and follow after him, but you can enter into his suffering, rightly so, and therein communion with him. Worthily, rightly so. But that's what we're called to, and I think that's what this passage is all about. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sank down with sleep and fell down from the third loft. Is that the third heaven? No, maybe it is. And was taken up dead. Now, you could say, well, yeah, we know that Lucifer fell. We know that Satan, and certainly Eutychus wasn't, I don't believe anything of evil, spirit, possession, oppression, anything like that. I think he's just human. But isn't that the fall? Isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve? And what would have been the closest thing to the third heaven? (laughs) It had to be the Garden of Eden. 
I do believe the Garden of Eden was a physical place. I think it has, though, as we've been speaking, not only in this podcast, but we'll probably have, spoke, have spoken of and we'll probably continue to speak of in every podcast, there's a spiritual dimension. This stuff of the flesh is counterfeit. But it doesn't have to be counterfeit in a bad way. It's just a representation of the higher order spiritual of the heavenly kingdom where the throne of God really does set and he reigns from it with power on high but also power from within because that place is as much inside of you as it is outside of you because it is not materially bound. But all of us have fallen short of the glory of God And all of us need redemption in Jesus Christ. We've all fallen. We've all stepped away. We've all (laughs) turned our backs on God. We've all fallen prey to fear. Fear of loss. Including not only the primary drives, the material things that keeps us alive in the flesh, but directly then connected to life in the flesh and without our identity. And then we've constructed this narrative, some cockamamie sort of notion as to how it works. And it's all been lesser simply because we couldn't see the greater, because we couldn't see it would not be us that saves us. It would be Jesus the Christ. And God. So maybe Eutychus was like us, and maybe we were like Eutychus. Maybe it wasn't just a long-winded sermon. Maybe he wasn't just tired. Maybe life is kind of like a long-winded sermon. It's a journey. Just don't grow weary. Don't let the oil run out of out in your lamps. Jesus is coming a second time when the epiphany, the theophany will occur again. And how many times does he have to do that? I think, again, it's a daily walk. It's a daily sanctification, the Word of God. You need to stay in the Word daily. You need to be prayerful, (laughs) constant prayer, continually. You need to think upon these higher-ordered things. You need to hide the Word in your heart. You need to sup with God. You need to sit at the table. You need to take communion. All of the messaging of the Bible you need to do daily. Enter into his rest. You have an advocate with the Father. But God's not punishing you, nor is he sacrificing you. He's provided a way. You just have to say, I can see it now. I understand it. And go out and live your life like you're not scared to death. (laughs) You're scared to death, you still end up in death. Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching, he sank down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. It's my message. Trouble not yourselves, for life, his life, I'm going to say his life, for the sake of being exact with the passage, the text. But let his be a capital H. Jesus is alive in you. There's no difference in him taking, as with the Holy Spirit, 
providing you life in the Holy Spirit? Or His then providing you life spiritually? They're one and the same. You have to be grafted not only to the vine, but you have to be rooted in the Word. And, and we all have to be rooted in Christ and <laughs> the tree of life. And we all have to then be one, not only with Jesus, the Christ, but then restored, reconciled, as with one with God in the Holy Spirit. And then we begin to share that life with others. They'll notice a difference, folks. It's as plain as, as used to say, again, the nose on your face. They'll know who's scared and who's not. Who's afraid and who isn't? Who's trying to kind of con you and trick you into believing they have words of life, but they really don't? (laughs) You know how you know? Will they give it away? Will they lay it all down? Will they embrace life and the risk? I'm not saying you have to sign the check to one person tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying with the guiding and the leading of the Holy Spirit and the comfort, when you get it all away, you're going to need the strength, the power to do that. He'll give you direction and guidance. It may be a little here, it may be a little there. Just invest in life. Don't hold it back for yourself because in the end, you'll not take it with you and you will look back, should you have one of those theophany moments at the end of your life, come to Jesus moments, deathbed salvation experiences, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast. You can look back and say, oh yeah, but I gave. Oh, yes, but I invested. Oh, yes, I kind of took care of this and that. But in the end, more than little, (laughs) greater than lesser, I gave it all. And right now, I stand before God, Jesus Christ, my entry into heaven, (laughs) the pearly gates, the white throne judgment, And not only is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but God's got a record. He gave as much as he got. He he gave more. He was contributing. He, He was out there giving it even to the point where if it took his life, he didn't consider his life. He did that in the name of Jesus, which means that in the name of Jesus, the Christ, you lay down your life for others so that they may have life, knowing full well that nobody can take your life from you except you. But Jesus said that too. If I lay down my life, I can take it back up again. They can't take it from me. If you don't live your life that way, some are stronger in faith. Some were courageous. Some are still a little bit reserved, timid. Personalities do factor in. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm making somewhat absolute dichotomous sort of presentation. There's a lot of nuance in between. I'm just saying you've got to give it away. You can't hold it all. But you do it righteously in the name of the Jesus. You do it with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you do it prayerfully. You do it with consideration. You do it knowing full well that God has a purpose and plan. And He wants you to be part of it. 
If you do it that way, then what you will eventually find is, when it's all said and done, you will receive the ultimate validations, edifications. God will look at you and say, not only come on in, but he'll look at you and say, great job, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not me, not your pastor, not your neighbor. Nobody knows. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's between you and God. But if you're not talking to God, if you're not having that in the garden experience with God, then you're not going to know. And if you don't know, (laughs) then how can you believe? And even if you do know, if you don't do it, you must not believe it. We ask people at Covenant, Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry, to take a lot of risks, to do things they've never done before, to take a chance to be different, to do things differently, to give up some part of their old self for something new. It's all at the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. It's all under inspiration of the Word of God. But the Word is powerful. It'll resurrect the dead. And with that, even in this passage, when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. The notion of the idea is That there is going to always be resurrection when it's God's word. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No grave cloth can bind you. No grave can they put a stone even in front of it that's going to keep you in it. There is resurrection power in the word of God. How powerful is the word of God? Not only unto resurrection of the dead, but unto salvation. But it's all in Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm going to tell you when you come see me. That's what we're going to tell you when you come see us. At what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry or Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry? Because we believe it. (laughs) But the only way to really believe it is to live it. And I can give you that assurance too. We're not a boat full of hypocrites. Should you want to reach us, you can call 304-528-9220. You can find us at covenantsonline.com. You can email us at covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. We're on Facebook and YouTube at Covenants. And of course, you can always come back for the next podcast. And we drop that weekly. And until we get that chance to meet again on the next podcast, I want you to wish you the greatest of God's blessings in your life. <laughs> Don't be afraid of the devil. And if you have any fear, it's only respect because Jesus Christ has overcome the grave because he's overcome the fear of the grave. He's overcome the devil. He is the way. And aren't we thankful for that? Be blessed.